we're going to reside in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you have your copy of God's Word, join me, 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Lord willing, after Easter, we will get back to our study from the book of Samuel. But right now, we're taking a brief sabbatical, and today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'd like for you to follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth these words, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, if you carry the King James. If not, some translations use the phrase jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay that the excellency of the power of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So may God add His blessings today as we look at this message entitled, The Contents and the Container. The Contents and the Container. For as long as humanity is old, mankind has always sought to protect their valuables, their prized possessions, their treasures, their money and uh, always sought a safe hiding place. Uh, some would uh, maybe choose underneath your mattress or beneath the floorboards of your home. You get more interest there now than you do the stock market right now. But uh, anyway, people have tried different places to hide their possessions, their valuables. In the days of Jesus, when uh, safe deposit boxes and banks were not as readily available as they are now, oftentimes people would put their treasures, their most valuable possessions, valuable possessions in a clay jar. And then they would take that jar out to a field somewhere, perhaps behind their house. They would dig a hole. They would place the jar there. They would cover it up, mark that spot, and there they would believe that their valuables would be preserved. In fact, Jesus tells the story a couple of different times in the Gospels of a man who was in charge of his master's money. And the master gave him a certain amount the man put it in a jar, and he did just as I was describing to you, goes out into a field, digs a hole, and he buries it, covers it up, and he hides that which is most valuable to him. We have in our possession today a copy of the Bible. It is not the original autographs, and what I mean by autographs is it is not the original writings of the, of the um, biblical authors meaning that it is not the original manuscripts or autographs. We don't have those anywhere in the world today. I believe they exist somewhere, but for whatever reason, God has chosen to uh, not allow us to be able to discover where they are. But some of the most prized biblical manuscripts known to man were discovered in a very unlikely way. Back in the 1940s, a shepherd boy, a Bedouin shepherd boy down near the Dead Sea, which used to be where Jordan is, now it's the West Bank, was uh, taking care of his goats. He threw a rock into a cave and he heard some pottery breaking. He goes in to investigate and he finds a series of large clay jars. These jars are filled with ancient writings, manuscripts that have been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This shepherd boy has no idea that he has just made the greatest biblical archaeological discovery 
known to man. We call this the Dead Sea Scrolls. There were some 50,000 fragments of manuscripts, some of them no larger than a postage stamp. Others were as large, for example, the entirety of the scroll of Isaiah, over 900 biblical texts. The oldest dates back somewhere about 80 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Who would have ever thought that a treasure as valuable as the Dead Sea Scrolls would be housed in a clay pot? But do you know archaeologists today tell us that the price of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that it is priceless? That there's no monetary value that could be put on the value uh, the worth of those scrolls. In fact, a few scrolls and a few uh, fragments, I should say, still reside in the hands of some private dealers. One particular family member who has a piece or a fragment of the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the larger pieces owned by private individuals about uh, the size of a cereal box. It's shaped like a butterfly. And it is on the market for, get this, $40 million. Now, friends, that's more than I made last year. But 40 $40 million for one fragment, and there are 50,000 fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So who would have ever thought such a valuable treasure housed in a brittle, fragile, breakable clay pot? But that illustrates what we're going to be talking about today. We have the contents down inside us that the Apostle Paul describes as a treasure, a priceless treasure. It is the presence of God, and the presence of God, if you're a Christian, lives within the believer. But as believers, we live in this body that is as fragile as a clay pot, as fragile and breakable as a clay jar. When the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he is writing what some scholars say is the most autobiographical book that he's ever written because he talks about in the book of Corinthians the struggles that he had, the hardships, the sorrows, the difficulties. In fact, he talks about that more in this book than he does all the other writings combined. But as he talks about his struggles, he says to us that how you and I handle our struggles as Christians says a lot about what we believe about Christ. How we deal with the hardships of life says a lot about our walk with the Lord. Now, trouble comes to everybody. It came to the Apostle Paul. It comes in my life, and it will certainly come into your life. Sometimes those struggles are caused by other people. For example, maybe, maybe uh, you have a difficult boss at work, and he has, for whatever reason, his, his sights on you, and he makes your life miserable. Or maybe you are the boss at work, and you have some employees that, or disrespectful to your authority, whichever the case may be, but you find yourself with circumstances beyond your control, and it's causing you a lot of anxiety and difficulty in your life. So sometimes our problems are caused by others. Sometimes our problems are caused by self, meaning we invite things into our lives that are not good, and then we have to deal with the consequence of that. A bad habit may lead to bad health. We have to deal with the consequence of that. A poor decision may lead to some very negative consequences, and it is our own fault, but yet we have to deal with the backwash of that. So sometimes those problems are created by other people, sometimes they're created by ourselves. But listen, occasionally there are problems that seep into our lives 
That is no fault of somebody else, no fault of ourselves, but like a waves on the seashore, it just washes over us, and those problems leave us rolling in the surf, if you will, with hardship and difficulties. Today, I want us to look what Paul said to these Corinthian believers as he talks about and contrasts and, and compares, if you will, the contents and the container the contents being the presence of God in a person's life, the container being the body, our body, where, the, where we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God's presence lives within us. And there are three things I want you to remember today through this. I want us to discover that there is a treasure that makes us holy, there is the clay that keeps us humble, and then there is the power that keeps us hopeful. So let's look through this today. First of all, note the treasure that makes us holy. This is what I call the contents. What is the contents housed in this jar of clay? If you'll go to verse number 7, he describes it for us. He says, we have this treasure. It is where we get the word thesaurus. Every day of my life, I use, or perhaps every day of my life, I use a, a thesaurus when I'm looking for a particular synonym or an antonym for a word that I'm trying to find that will fit just exactly with what God has put on my heart. So a thesaurus is a treasury of words. So when Paul talks about a treasure, it is not just the words, but it goes much deeper than just words. For example, turn, up, turn back one page to chapter 3. Look in verse 17, and Paul says this, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, and are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The contents, living within the Christian's body, in the Christian's life, the contents is the presence of God in your life. The gospel of the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It is the presence, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in the life of the Christian. You see, when a person gets saved, the result is a supernatural work of God. Um, salvation is not simply behavior modification, where I try to do better, I try to do right, I try to stop doing bad things. No. When we get saved, it is not just behavior modification that changes how we live on the outside, but it is a supernatural work of God that affects us on the inside. God takes the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, and allows the Holy Spirit of God to move inside of our physical body. And because of that, Paul says, we have this treasure the presence of God in our lives. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, meaning that you and I are wealthy beyond our wildest imagination. Everywhere you go, if you're saved today, you have God's presence living and moving and working inside your life. Notice how he describes this. If you'll go back to chapter 4, go to verse number 6. He says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have, notice, this treasure. We have this treasure. It is the great wealth of the death of Christ, yes. The burial of Christ, yes. 
and it is also the power of his resurrection. We call it um, the good news, the gospel. You see, God told Adam in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that when God created man, he stooped down and took a little bit of dirt and he formed Adam. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living soul. God told Adam, you know, when he breathed into him, that's the spirit. God put his spirit in Adam. And God told Adam, he said, in the day you sin, you will surely die. When Adam disobeyed God and sinned, the spirit moved out. And when he did, Adam died spiritually. He was separated from God. And he began to die physically. His body started experiencing the aging process. And uh, because God cannot live, the spirit cannot live in an unclean vessel. So the, the vessel, our body, was intended to be the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when Adam sinned, the Spirit of God, the presence of God moved out. And as human beings, listen, as human beings, we are created. We are created to house, we are created to house the presence of God as contents would be housed in a jar. We are created, the Bible says, to be the temple of God. Our bodies he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you? So it stands to reason, listen, a life without God, now listen carefully, is an empty life. A life without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is like a jar with no contents. We all know the name of Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle was one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived. But did you know that he struggled with alcoholism? And alcohol practically killed Mickey Mantle? A guy who was a cultural hero in his day. A man who was in the Baseball Hall of Fame. A man who set records one right after another during his baseball career. One interviewer asked him how he was progressing with his addiction with alcohol. And this is what he said. He said, I've not had a drink in eight months. I'm doing much better. He said, I'm starting to get my life back together. Now listen carefully. He said, but I just feel like there's something missing. One of the greatest baseball players of all time. He had fame, popularity, incredible talent, wealth, notoriety, you name it. He had it, but deep down inside he said, I feel like I'm a container that is dry and that there's something missing. Well, near the end of his life, Mickey Mantle discovered what that was. Another baseball player by the name of Bobby Richardson shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with Mickey Mantle. And later in life, Mickey Mantle became a Christian. And when Bobby Robertson spoke at, uh, or excuse me, Richardson spoke at Mickey Mantle's funeral, he said Mickey shared these words from his deathbed. He said, I am trusting in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to take me to heaven. May I say to you that the greatest treasure that you could ever have is to have the presence of God in your life. The greatest treasure, the greatest joy, the greatest wealth, the most valuable commodity you could ever possess is the presence of the Spirit of God living inside your heart and life. Listen, when you become a Christian, the Bible says your sins are forever washed away. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you are immediately reconciled to God. 
That's a beautiful word when we talk about being reconciled. It doesn't mean that God left us. God is right where we've always been. But do you know the scripture says if a person is not saved, we're at enmity with God? We're enemies with God? You say, Pastor, I'm not an enemy with God. If you're not a Christian, the Bible says you are a creation of God, but you're not a child of God. And that actually, as a creation lost in sin, we are at enmity, are enemies with him. But once we get saved and we accept this, this death of Christ on the cross as payment of our sins, his glorious resurrection as conquering death for us so that we may live, then the Bible says we are immediately brought back into a right relationship with God. That's reconciliation. That means that you have the contents of the gospel down in your heart. When you get saved, we take on, now listen carefully, the righteousness of Christ because we have none of ourselves. We take on his perfect righteousness. He took all of our sin, nailed it to the cross, and then he gives us his righteousness. So when you look at this and you see what the Apostle Paul tells us, he says, You have a treasure. It is a treasure, the presence of God living in your life, and that treasure makes you holy. But notice, secondly, that's what I call the contents, the treasure that makes you holy. That's the contents. But look, secondly, at the clay that keeps us humble. <laughs> the clay that keeps us hum humble. This is what I call the container. Circle the words in verse 7. Again, if you carry the King James, it's rendered as earthen vessels. We have this treasure, the presence of God, in jars of clay. The contents is the presence of the Lord. The container is my body. The contents is the Spirit of God. The container is a jar of clay that you and I call the body. Notice the contrast. The contents, a treasure. The container is clay. The contents, priceless. The container, humble. The contents are eternal, but the container is temporary. Do you know when God created us, he could have made us invincible, right? I mean, he could have made us with a big S on our chest, Superman. Invincible, but he didn't. When he made us, how did he make us? A little bit of dirt <laughs> formed into the human body, and he created us as clay jars, meaning God's design for me and you is that we are by nature fragile, <laughs> brittle, weak. We sometimes leak, right? We sometimes have all kinds of problems that we deal with. It is because we live this life as a clay jar. I used to teach uh, mythology in college, and um, one of the Greek myths out of Greek mythology is a guy by the name of Prometheus uh, was said to be the one who created mankind. Of course, we know Prometheus didn't create mankind. Uh, God did, but nonetheless, you get the picture. This is just Greek mythology. So Prometheus, who was, um, who was the one who, who was kind of the keeper of fire, he also was said to have created mankind. He has a brother named Epimetheus. Epimetheus was the one responsible for creating animals. And when Epimetheus created all the animals, he gave to them the skills and the equipment necessary to survive. For example, he gave a turtle a hard shell. Uh, Epimetheus gave um, uh, speed to a, to, a, to a cheetah. 
He gave fur to a bear to keep him warm, wings to the birds so that he could fly. He gave to all of the animal kingdom skills they needed and equipment they needed to survive. But when it came time to give something to mankind that Prometheus had created, all of those wonderful gifts had already been given away. So mankind didn't have sharp claws like a, like a, like a lion or sharp teeth like a lion or a tiger or wings that he could fly or speed that he could run or thick fur like a bear. So, so mankind was left kind of helpless. So Prometheus gave to mankind intelligence so that he could, in his intelligence, build something that would help him fly further than the birds could ever fly. Help him build something that could take him faster down the road, an automobile, than a animal could ever run. My point is this. Even the secular mind in Greek mythology looks at how fragile the human condition really is. You don't have to have the brains of Albert Einstein to see that the Bible is exactly correct. We are basically jars of clay. God could have made us out of concrete. (laughs) He could have made us out of out of steel. He could have made us look like a vault or a safe. It's not what he does. He makes us like a clay jar. Listen to what the psalmist says. God knows how he formed us, and he remembers that we are dust, a dried up clay jars, a container that's very fragile, a container that's very weak. But now listen carefully. If you know the Lord, Your container that's very fragile on the outside contains or houses the contents of the presence of God. But life in this world as a fragile clay jar can be very complicated. In fact, look in verse number 8 and 9. I want you to note something here. There are four paradoxical statements that Paul makes. Each one of them talks about his own struggles his personal struggles, so he can illustrate how you and I will struggle. But then he gives us a word of hope. Now look at this very quickly. Let me read them for you. Then we'll come back and, and just kind of move through them. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. So let's take these one at a time, if you will. First of all, look at the word troubled on every side, the verb troubled. It comes from a Greek word to be pressed as one would press grapes. What's the imagery that you see there? When those grapes are pressed and the juices just begin begin to kind of run out, that's kind of what I imagine, that in life as a clay jar, sometimes the pressures of life want to just crush the very life out of us. You're trying to keep your business afloat and you can't find qualified employees. Or maybe you are working as hard as you can work at the office and it's all you can do to get everything done that you need to do. But yet when you get home, you're caring for an aging adult who needs a lot of attention from you. Or, Or maybe it's your children and they need a lot of care or a lot of attention and you just feel like everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, it is pressure. Pressure. That is just grinding away at you and squeezing the life out of you. Well, here was the greatest of all the apostles. And you know what he said? He said, there are times in my life that trouble is on every side. I don't know if you felt like that before or not. But I must be very transparent. There have been times in my life when I felt just like that. 
Like you don't get over one problem until another one makes its appearance. And then another one, and then another one, and then another one. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking about a litany of those problems that kind of come up on the mental screen of your, of your mind right now and you're thinking about it. Maybe your situation is, is you have a child in school and they have, been, they have been bullied by other children at school. Or maybe you have a daughter that didn't make the cheerleading squad or a son that didn't make the baseball team. Or a teenager who came home and his, his girlfriend just broke up from their first experience of puppy love. Or your, your daughter comes home and the man that she thought that she was going to love for the rest of her life has somebody else that he's now interested in. And you have to deal with all of the backwash of that. And everywhere you turn, it's trouble. A pressure that just squeezes and squeezes and squeezes. Pressure in home, pressure in work, pressure on the job pressure in life. Paul says there's just trouble on every side. Here we are two years into a global pandemic and no sooner than we start to get that in the background and now our mind immediately goes to what's taking place with the Russian invasion of Ukraine because we don't know where that's going to, going to end, if it's going to expand, if it's going to get worse, or what's going to happen there. Here in our own country, inflation at an all-time high, gas prices at an all-time high. I filled up my car the other day. It was $64. I drive a Toyota, for heaven's sake. $64. And you just wonder, where's all of this going to end? And it is pressure. It is the squeezing of life. And listen, life as a clay pot, it doesn't seem like it's going to take a lot of pressure to break us. That's how Paul felt. Look at the next word that he used, the word perplexed in verse number 8. You may want to circle that. It means that you do not know what decision to make. That maybe there are times in life where You've got to make some kind of decision, and to the best of your ability, you're like, I'm just not sure what to do. That's perplexity. I said in the first service this morning, sometimes it occurs in relationships. For example, uh, you take a husband and wife who may be at odds with each other, and maybe she's sharing with him a problem that needs attention, and he is Mr. Fix-It because sometimes God wires a man to fix it whatever it is. But she tells him about a particular problem. He immediately feels the pressure to fix it, and he is frustrated with her because he don't know how to fix it. He don't know what decision that needs to be made at a particular time. Or it might even be something that is outside his control. So he gets very frustrated with her. But at the same time, she's frustrated with him because she doesn't really want him to fix it. She just wants to talk to him about it. And connect with him about it. But yet, it is very real in relationships that we get perplexed. And we just honestly don't know what to do. Paul said, I've been there. Then he uses the third word. Remember I told you there were four? The third one is persecuted. It means to be harassed, to be troubled, to be mistreated. Paul was mistreated everywhere he goes. There were people who questioned his motives. There were people who undermined his integrity. There were people who assassinated his character. There were people who tried to paint him in a bad light. Everywhere he went, you know, he was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. He was, he was ran out of town on a number of occasions. Everywhere he went, he experienced persecution and trouble. Listen, you ever try to do anything good in life? The devil's never going to make it easy on you, is he? He's never going to roll out the red carpet for you. One of my favorite quotes, you've heard me say it many times, is from Vance Havner. If you're walking down life's road and you don't come face to face with the devil every day, it's because you're walking in the same direction he's walking in. Isn't that right? But if we turn to face the Lord... And, and turn, uh, turn away from the devil and walk facing the Lord. 
we will face the devil every day. And he will make sure that he tries to discourage us. So Paul says, we are persecuted, we are perplexed, we are troubled on every side. Look at the next phrase in verse 9, we are cast down. It means to be thrown to the ground like a battle-weary soldier. Pretty vivid there, isn't it? I don't know about you, maybe I'm a little bit of a sicko, but I find a little bit of comfort in knowing that there were some great biblical personalities that had problems just like we all encounter. Makes me feel like I'm not in this thing alone, doesn't it, you? Let me show you. Paul, primarily the example, turn over one page to chapter 6. Chapter 6, if you're listening, say amen. Chapter 6, look in verse number 4. He tells us some about his struggles. He said, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, now look at this, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. In other words, he said, through everything that life throws at this container that I live in, I'm not going to end up being absolutely ground to powder because I have contents on the inside that is far superior to the container on the outside. And when I feel like I'm going to be ground into nothingness, nothingness, that it is the presence and the power of God living on the inside of this old fragile container that will sustain me through all of the hard knocks of life. Listen, even Christians, we all have problems. Maybe you raised your child in church and now you have a child that's a, that's a prodigal and they're living away from God and it, it keeps you up at night. Christians get cancer. Christian businesses go bankrupt. Listen, if you, want to, if you want to have a life with no problems, I have some good news and some bad news for you. You want to live a life with, you want to have a life with no problems, good news and bad news. The good news is that will happen one day. The bad news is you got to die before that happens. You'll never have any problems when you get to heaven. But while you're here, you have problems. The afflictions of this old clay pot, trouble on every side, persecution, perplexities, you feel like you're cast down, and you feel like at any moment you're just going to crack beneath the pressure. So you see the treasure that makes us holy, that's the contents. The clay that makes us humble, that's the container. But finally, I want you to look at the power that makes us hopeful. This is what I call the confidence why do we have the priceless treasure of God housed in such humble clay pots? Now, let me ask you again, okay? Why? Why didn't God make us invincible? Why didn't he make us out of steel, concrete? Why didn't he make us tough and rigid on the outs? Why did he give us bodies made of clay and put his contents in it? Here's why. Look in verse 7. We have this treasure in clay jars, and here's why. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Isn't that a great verse? He says you have the contents of God's presence in a container that is very fragile so that you will learn to put your trust not in the container but in the contents. 
that you'll learn to put your trust in the one who lives in you. That way, when whatever is happening around you and all of the pressure is trying to break you down, you rely on the contents on the inside and you say, greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world. You may be thinking, Pastor Darrell, why do I have to go through those times of hardship? Why do I have to go through those times of difficulty? I mean, I mind my own business. I go to church. I read my Bible. I love my wife. I take care of my kids. I pay my taxes. I work my job. I, I have a devotion in time. I just try to do everything right. Why then do I have trouble on every side and feel like a weary soldier? That is an excellent question. Now listen carefully. If you are a clay jar and all you do is sit in the sunshine, over time you'll become more dry and more brittle and more fragile and less useful. But when God lets those storms come and that rain begins to fall, it has a tendency to kind of rehydrate that clay pot and make us a little more flexible and a little more useful for God. So he brings those storms into my life and your life, perplexities, trouble on every hand, cast down, difficulties, because what he's doing, he's just watering us, trying to get us to grow. So that others might see this is how a Christian deals with hardship. This is the resource that a Christian depends upon when troubles come, that we don't just try to make it on our outside because we're just clay jars. We've got to depend on what's going on on the inside. And when we trust the contents and take our eyes off the container, that gives us great hope and confidence that, yes, God is going to see us through. In fact, I told you about those four paradoxical statements that he makes in verses 8 and 9, and I gave you the first words, uh, troubled, perplexed, persecuted, cast down. But look at the response of that. We also have four, what I call here, but-nots. And thank God for the but-nots. Look what he says. We are troubled on every side. And all God's people said, amen. Look at this. But not distressed. We are perplexed. Yes. But not in despair. We are persecuted. Yes. But not forsaken. Cast down like a, like a soldier on the battlefield. Yes but not destroyed. Thank the Lord for the but-nots. It has been said you get knocked down, but you don't get knocked out. And in all of life, you will find that there are times family can't sustain you, a friend can't sustain you, sustain you that the only thing that really can sustain you is the contents down in your container, this clay jar, which is the presence of God who is working in your life. The Bible says that he works all things together for our good and for his glory. You see, as a clay jar, we're not very strong, but the strength is in him. Not in us. In fact, in our moments of weakness, the Bible says his strength is made perfect. So in this life as a clay jar, we get worn out, defeated, discouraged, beat down, exacerbated, and just fed up. But I want you to know deep down on the inside of this container, there is the contents of the Spirit of God who is working and He's sowing and He's, and he's, he's dealing and He's watering and He's growing us to be what He wants us to be for the kingdom of God. So when others look at our lives, they say there has to be something true about this Christianity 
because we're fragile on the outside, but look how strong God makes us when he's able to live through us. Notice he says, if you go back to verse number 7, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Go down to verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. That others would see Jesus working in these fragile clay pots. As John Newton said, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and His grace will lead me home. Close in one minute. Let me give you some action steps. I call them PowerPoints that might help you as you read this some this week. Number one, I would ask that you make a list of the events are the things in your life that bring about the most pressure to you. Just make yourself a list in your own devotional time. Identify some of the things that bring pressure, anxiety, trouble into your life right now that you're dealing with. Number two, beneath that, highlight the things that you can control. Highlight the things that you control from the list that you had made. Number three, highlight the things that you can't control. Okay? So you got that? A list of your pressures and worries and struggles. You highlight what you can control. You highlight what you cannot control. Then number four, do what you can to fix what you can and leave the rest of it up to God. And then finally, Focus on the Savior, not self. Focus on the contents, not the container. The key to victory over life's problems is not in the container, but thank God it's in the contents, the one who lives in us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the victory that you promise us through all the trouble, the perplexities, the times we feel cast down and crushed, you tell us friends may abandon us, family may abandon us, but Lord, you will never abandon us. And we find great peace and comfort and joy in that. And Lord, we don't understand why you put such a great treasure in such a fragile clay jar. But God, we know that the grand scheme of it is, is so we don't depend on self, we depend on you. Maybe there's someone here today and they would say, Pastor Darrell, I'm just like Mickey Mantle. I have nothing inside my life. The, the, my clay jar is empty on the inside and I'm tired of living like this. And Lord, Darrell, I want to be saved. I want you to ask the Lord to give me the strength to make that commitment to become a Christian. Lord, your word says today is the day of salvation. And I pray anyone like that, either here in the service or listening by live stream or later by television, God, that they would open the door of their heart and invite Christ to be their Lord and their master and their sovereign king. Maybe others who are burdened down and they too feel crushed and they just want to come today and cast their care on you. Or others who want to unite with this local congregation. The doors of our church are open and I pray they would come. So just use this invitation in a way That will bring you honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen.